Hello and welcome to I Don't Know the Podcast, episode 39, Ghosts of the London Underground. The London Underground, otherwise known as the Two, is 157 years old and is a transport system that rumbles deep below the streets of old London town. 250 miles of track, serving 270 stations, with 5 million people using it a day. It truly does keep this city alive. But what about the dead? The tube is awash with spooky tales of hauntings and ghosts. And is it any wonder, since construction over the years has ploughed through burial grounds and graveyards like a massive Craig T. Nelson building an American housing project? Is the tube haunted? I don't know, but listen on to find out. The London Underground is indeed an incredible transport system. It opened in 1863 and since expanded to cover the whole of Greater London and the adjacent counties of Buckinghamshire and Essex. Annually, pre-Covid, over a billion passengers used the tube and I used to be one of its users. Never did I have any spooky sensations while travelling on it. The most uncomfortable I ever felt on the tube was if a tourist or a northerner tries to talk to me while I'm reading my newspaper. But apparently, the underground is full of ghosts, from Liverpool Street to Beacon Tree. And luckily for us, I found a pretty good documentary about the ghosts of the underground. That documentary is called uh, Ghosts on the Underground. closer and closer and I thought well this is strange it's a strange sort of feeling when something like that happens the hairs were sticking up straight on both arms Not long after that, he then decided he was going home, he wasn't going to stay. Okay then, ghosts on the underground. What makes you think the tube is haunted? From the early days of construction through to wartime, There have been thousands of accidental deaths and suicides. Add these to the graves, cemeteries, plague pits and church crypts that the tube's construction has disrupted over the years, and the number of potentially disturbed souls begins to add up to the thousands. Okay, I guess he makes a good point. 
the rhythm of the tube's daily life rarely changes. Before the tube shuts for the night, commuters make their way home in various states, all desperately trying to make sure they catch the last train. Because if it left without them, they would experience a very different place than the one they're used to. The crowds would be gone, replaced by silent, empty and lonely stations and passageways. I missed my last train home from King's Cross years ago. And let me tell you, the things that were wandering around 1980s King's Cross at three in the morning were a lot scarier than any ghost. 24 hours a day, the CCTV from every station in London is monitored by a line controller based in a separate location. In the summer of 2000, the line controller noticed a man standing on a platform at Liverpool Street in central London. This was particularly unusual as it was two o'clock in the morning. The station was closed and there were no contractors scheduled to be there. That is weird. The last train is usually around 1am. On shift that night was Steve Coates, a station supervisor with 23 years of experience. The line controller rang Steve and asked him to investigate. I asked him if he'd like me to go and have a look. Um, he said he would, as he'd seen somebody wearing white overalls standing in the entrance to the eastbound tunnel. I went down to the central line. I couldn't see anybody as I approached the eastbound tunnel. Um, there was nobody there. I looked into the tunnel, I looked all around. Um, there was nobody present. Where did he go? I walked through to the bottom of the escalators and used the telephone to call the line controller. And I explained to him that I'd carried out an investigation. I'd looked through into the tunnel. I couldn't see anybody there. He said, but this guy was next to you. How could you not see him? So I said, OK, I'll go back and have another look. So I walked through. I looked all around there. Again, I saw nobody. I came back to the telephone, called the line controller, and said, there honestly is nobody here. I've looked around. And he said, but I'm telling you, I can see you on my CCTV. You were standing right next to him. Behind you! I said, are you sure it's not just a, a, a blip on your CCTV? And he said, no, the guy was right next to you. And I said, I can promise you there was nobody there. So he said, OK, all right, fine, thanks very much. As I turned and walked back onto the eastbound platform, to my left there was a bench, and on that bench was a white pair of paper overalls. At the time, it made a chill go down my spine. I'm not surprised. That's the mystery of the white overalls of Liverpool Street. If you travel one stop westbound along the central line, you arrive at Bank. It's one of the oldest stations on the network and is situated in the heart of London's financial district. It's also probably one of my least favourite stations. It's incredibly busy and the pedestrian tunnels were obviously designed for when about 50 people a day used it. Not the hundreds of thousands that do today. And... It also has a stupid number of exits, and I always seem to pick the wrong one. Andy Harkness worked for London Underground for 35 years. In 1982, he was working the night shift at Bank. The last train had left, and he'd just begun locking up the station. I then went down the, the other lifts, four, three, two, one. I had a look in number one, although we hadn't even used the lift. For the American listeners, lift is English for elevator. And bearing in mind, these are the old lifts with the old wooden heavy doors. So I looked in the lift, nobody in there, it was clean, shut it down. As I walk across, oh, about six foot away from the number one lift, there was a 
knock, 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 knock on the door. And I thought, no, nah, that's not true because I've just looked in there, there's nobody there, there's nobody else in there with me, there was no winds, you know, occasionally you could hear these doors rattle, but it wasn't, it was a definite knock, knock, knock. Bank is a very old station, so I can imagine that this would be pretty creepy. So I thought, no, nah, this is not happening, so carried on, ignore it, you know, go away, I'm saying to myself. I walk across then to where the switch room is, I open the switch room and I wedge open the door and it switched the lights off to the old emergency, uh, just left on the emergency lights and I've started to walk across the ticket hall. As I walk across, all of a sudden that door slams, wham, like that. And I, I wouldn't even look back, there was no wind, no nothing and it was, uh, it scared the life out of me and I said, no, 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 it's not happening like, and I said, I nearly made a mess in my trousers, and off I went, you know. I hope he means the back of his trousers and not the front. But that was the last time he worked in that part of the building. There are still places where passengers never go. One such place is Kennington Loop, a section of track near Kennington Station in South London, where there have been more reported unexplainable incidents than anywhere else on the network. I know all about Kennington Loop. You see... I've actually worked for London Underground. Not in the tunnels like the people featured in the documentary. No, I was in a comfy design office, working on the Northern Line extension. Kennington Loop is at the southern end of the Northern Line, and it's where the trains turn around. The passengers all get off, then the train is set into the loop, where it comes out on a northbound platform. Larry de Larabiti and Bob Cairn both worked on the Northern Line. Bob was a driver, and Larry was a guard. Together they have nearly 50 years of experience on the tube and they both have extensive experience of travelling through Kennington Loop. 25 years ago, uh, I was a guard on the Northern Line. He's not armed or anything. A guard on a train is just there to aid the driver or something. He used to be the one with the flag, but really not sure what they do now. Uh, one day, uh, we were contacted by the line controller and he asked us because of uh, an incident further up the line to divert to Kennington Loop. We detrain passengers at Kennington on the southbound and then we move off and wait into the, in the loop for the signal to come northbound. I think I already explained that. Which normally, uh, that particular night, it was sort of ten minutes. We were there for quite a while, uh, about five minutes or so. Um, which seems quite a long time when you're, when you're held there with nothing moving, when I heard the interconnecting car doors going. Now this is a unique, distinctive sound. That, the clunk click of the doors is, 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 is unlike any other on the underground. He's right. It actually does go clunk click. I heard the slamming of our communicating doors, which are the doors between in the middle of the train. You could hear the doors one, two, three, clunk click, again car five, six, seven. It got closer and closer. And I thought, well, this is strange. And so I stood up to look into the next car to expect to see my driver there, but nobody was there. And we actually searched the train through all the communicating doors. Half the doors were open, but nobody there. You just think, how strange. It happened a few times, apparently. Um, the story goes that some, some passenger uh, was killed in the, in the loop. A man was killed at Kennington trying to board the train in between the cars uh, and as a result was apparently dragged into the sidings and was killed.
So even idiots can become ghosts. But could there be an explanation for the weirdness that these tube workers are experiencing? Vic Tandy is a senior lecturer at Coventry University. He's been exploring the reasons and explanations behind paranormal experiences for over 20 years. He believes he has a simple explanation as to why there are so many unexplainable experiences on the underground. He's a real scientist. Most humans can hear between 20 hertz, that's 20 cycles per second, up to about 20,000. Um, infrasound then starts at 20 hertz and goes down. The effects of infrasound are that they can activate the fight or flight mechanism, which makes you feel cold, it makes the hairs stand up on the back of your neck, and so the whole system gets worse and worse, and if you do nothing about it, that in itself will cause um, visual disturbances, and you may see grey objects in your peripheral vision. Infrasound? That kind of sounds like the brown noise. The noise that, when it's at a certain frequency, makes you shit your pants. If it is like that, it would explain what's happened to me a couple of times very late on the tube at night. So, he takes his gear to places that ghosts have been reported in. The microphone um, just works in the same way as a standard microphone. The only difference is that this one is very sensitive to low frequencies. The first place he went to make some recordings was on the Northern Line at Kennington Loop. Um, and so this is where the trains actually come in and then they turn around and go back out again. I think that's being explained twice already. And so one of the stories involves people having strange feelings in here. And so we're measuring the level of infrasound actually in the tunnel as we go round the loop. Oh, I hate that sound. There's, there's actually quite high levels of infrasound showing on the trace. I want to actually stop it and analyse it and, and get a closer look. Um, but certainly, again, I think there's, there's quite remarkable levels, apparently. Um, so it'd be interesting to, to spend a few minutes looking at it more closely. I'd hope he spends more than a few minutes on that. And it does seem that he does spend a decent amount of time on it. And he has some findings. Certainly at the point at which the train was stationary, for some reason, the level of infrasound became quite high. So we were talking about 90 decibels. In fact, at one point I've measured 95 decibels. Now, if that was audible sound, that would be a disco which would be just about as loud as you could possibly stand it. You would come away from that with your ears ringing. Clearly, it's not going to cause doors to bang and that sort of thing. But it might just be responsible for feelings of unease, which then other events might be more likely to sort of give a paranormal feel to. So it could be infrasound that scared the guy so much he almost shit himself. But it's not only trains that make a lot of noise. There are hundreds of machines down there, like escalators. Barry Oakley was a station supervisor working the overnight shift at Hyde Park Corner in November 1978. As usual, he'd closed and emptied the station and had shut the escalator down. Having checked that he'd properly removed the breakers, a piece of equipment that stops the escalator from moving, he and his colleague then returned to the supervisor's office. Well, it sounds like they did everything right. Now, all the escalators were off and everything was quiet. At about half past two, 25 to three, there was a commotion outside in the booking hall area, the concourse area. When going out into the booking hall area, we noticed that the escalator that we'd come up on was on which I found rather strange because, to my knowledge, once the breaker was out, there's no current to that escalator. 
To start an escalator up, you need to physically use a key. It's true. I've seen them do it. And around about, it must have been about 20 past three by the time we got back and all this had gone on. And while I was making this tour, I had this terrible sensation that, in the back of the neck that something was watching me or something was, you know, there that I couldn't describe. And the room was really cold by now. It was just like, ah, you know, it's, you, you could see your breath through the coldness. That just sounds like summer in London. And I turned around, and when I turned around, I noticed my colleague was, like, up against the side of the table, against the wall. He'd gone white, like, an off-colour. I wondered if he was taken ill, you know, if he'd taken it happen. So I immediately gone to him, trying to bring him round. It took me about five or ten minutes to actually get him to come round and talk to me. He said, did you see the face? He reckoned someone's head had come through there and looked at the pair of us. Um, not long after that, he then... He thought he was going home, he wasn't going to stay. Oh, shit. And you know what? That guy never came back to work ever again. Tariq Rana was a station supervisor working at Beacontree Station, a quiet commuter overground station on the district line in East London. He was working a late shift one evening in the summer of 1992. He was about to go home and was finishing off some paperwork. In the office at Beacontree Station, we had a door that led onto the um, onto the National Railways platform. While I was like, doing my work, I heard that door rattle. Um, I thought nothing of it at the time because the trains normally pass on that side. After a couple of minutes, I heard the door rattle again. So um, I thought, well, I heard it rattle the first time, so there must be a train coming. And then after another couple of minutes, I heard it rattle again. And, um, and then I thought to myself, well, it's now rattled three times. Um, the train, if there was one, should be coming. I got very uncomfortable with that. So, so I had another member of staff upstairs. So I thought I'll, I'll go upstairs and, and, like, and I'll chat with him. Well, what's he going to say to him? A door rattled three times? I walked on the platform, got to the staircase. I just had this strong feeling that there was somebody walking behind me. And basically at that point I turned round and um, I saw an image of a woman. She had uh, long blonde uh, hair, uh, probably about halfway down to her back. Um, and she had no face. It was just, just something like a blank uh, where the features would be. And, and the funny thing is, every time I tell this story, I always get goose pimples. And I've really got them now as well, because I, I know that I did see this image of a woman. Again, for American listeners, goose pimples is English for goosebumps. Although now I think about it, goose pimples would be a pretty crappy title for a series of books. Anyway, by that time, um, I've approached my member of staff, and, and um, I remember his exact words. He said to me, you look as if you've seen a ghost. And, and I said to him, um, I, I think I have. And then he says to me, um, oh, is it a woman in a white dress? I said, yeah, how do you know? And he goes, uh, oh, I've seen her as well. And he couldn't have warned him before? Now they go to the next station that a lot of people use, Embankment. This station is by the river, in the heart of London's West End. Embankment is one of London's busiest interchange stations. Over the years, many of the station staff and contractors have reported very strange feelings and unusual experiences in one of the station's disused tunnels which runs under the Thames. The tunnel is called Pages Walk. Pages Walk is a utility tunnel only used by London Underground staff. Strange noises. Some have said they've heard footsteps. 
others that the lights have gone out and then come back on again. You hear the door slumping, stuff like that, and then when you walk through the tunnel, you get to a point that it's changing temperature. It does get quite cold down there, and it, it, it does give a very eerie sort of sense of, of a feeling down there. You're not going to get me to go down <laughs> with you. <laughs> One person who has no choice about going down to Pages Walk is a contractor we met while we were filming. He didn't want to be named, but he's been coming to work in the tunnel every day for the past three months. And the tunnel, rather than the work, is beginning to have an effect on him. This guy has had his face blurred out, he's so scared. I don't know why, I mean, does he think the ghosts are gonna watch this and recognize him and come after him? I've worked all over London, places that got bombed during the Second World War. They never thought about anything like spirit, so I don't worry about it, just go on with your job. But Pages Walk, this one is different from day one. I feel like I wasn't wanted or I was somewhere where I shouldn't be. Some of the staff, I think, do believe there's something down here. Um, yes, I've thought about what it can be. I've thought of answers, what can make the doors bang. I don't know. I'm not saying something down there. I'm not saying there is or there isn't. I don't know. I don't want that job. The poor guy. So they send Professor Vic down there to see what's going on. Well, the whole atmosphere of this place is incredible. There's a huge gale blowing through. The door is just closed in front of me. So, you know, the whole place has an absolutely incredible, incredible atmosphere. Can you hear that? There are doors banging all over the place. Any paranormal TV show would dream of having stuff like this happen while they're there. You get these cold blasts of air. Um, I don't know whether that's the trains moving through the tunnel, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, the temperature changes. You can actually feel, you know, the clothes moving, and I love the noise that the door makes. It's going to bang again. Professor Vic doesn't sound, sound scared at all. Well, we're about halfway into the tunnel, and the uh, spectrum analyzer is reading quite a lot of low frequency sound. You can see that the marks down this end are quite high. It's feeling a lot colder. The, uh, the whole atmosphere now is, is chilled. I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that that's abnormal. It's just changed. The um, start right down in the um, ne next to the station, the temperature was about 24, so we're a good 10 degrees lower up here than we were down there. I mean, that's pretty weird, because you would expect it to get warmer. Um, but nonetheless, I think, I think the, the draft is actually blowing the air up here. The piece of tape is starting to move up the tunnel. Actually, now he is starting to look and sound a bit scared. And there's quite a draft. You can actually feel the, feel the draft moving. And that coincides with the door actually being in the closed position. So the draft's now dropped. And my guess is that in a minute, when a train going in the other direction comes, it will suck the air back out again. There we go. So that's now sucking the air in the other direction, which could move the door the other way. I think this is actually a classic example um, of the kinds of effects that infrasound can have. Um, you kind of feel this weird sort of um, presence almost. 
So Pages Walk has a combination of infrasound, giving them an uneasy feeling, and a huge amount of air shifted by the trains that's slamming the doors. It would be pretty creepy. So far we've only heard about workers' experiences. But these ghosts have been bothering fair-paying passengers too. Millions of photos are taken of the underground each year, most standing up at a holiday album somewhere. But the occasional photo ends up in the hands of someone altogether more unusual. One such photo, taken on the Bakerloo line in 1983, was sent to Morris Gross from the Society for Psychical Research. Over the years, Morris has examined and unravelled hundreds of unexplainable photos. Morris Gross. You may remember him from episode 10 about the Enfield poltergeist. When I first saw the photograph, I was astonished. There's no other word for it. I just couldn't make it out. The photo that Morris had examined was a picture taken in a carriage on the Bakerloo line by Karen Collette, who was showing her family around London. I can't make out why anyone would want to take a photo on the tube. They should be quietly reading the evening standard and avoiding eye contact at all counts. My nephew wanted me to take a picture of the underground, to have the brown framework you know, of the train. So I proceeded to take the picture and didn't think anything else of it till some months later when I had the pictures developed. I've tried to explain to my teenage daughter how photos used to work. You had a film that you would take to Snappy Snaps or a chemist and they would print physical pictures. This would take anywhere from an hour to a month. She found this to be very, very strange. Wait till I try and explain a fax machine to her. I handed the pictures to my father and my sister's boyfriend at the time and they were looking through the pictures and they looked at me and said, oh, that's not very nice. And I said, well, what isn't? And they said, that picture that you took. Karen couldn't believe her eyes. She'd taken a picture that science would struggle to explain. It is a creepy picture. It shows a smiling kid sitting on the tube, but in the window behind him is a guy getting blasted in the electric chair. It doesn't make any sense at all. Here we have a photograph of a man sitting in an electric chair, of all things, squared up in the underground. Nobody, nobody obviously saw it, and yet the camera did. Now, what was the reason for that? I'll post the photo on the Instagrams and the Facebooks. See what you think. Robert Cox is from the National Museum of Photography. <laughs> Cox. He's an expert in analysing negatives and images and would be able to tell whether Karen's photo was genuine or not. The, the point with this is that it's an amateur camera. So to do uh, manipulation of photographs, particularly in the 80s, you'd have needed quite sophisticated cameras, um, quite expensive cameras that would focus closely and um, be able to control the exposure accurately. These negatives are from the 110 camera, an amateur point-and-shoot camera, with not the range of facilities to, to do manipulation. I don't think the photograph has been manipulated. So, no one has messed with the picture. After researching it, I found out that it was Bruno Hartmann, who actually, there's a waxwork of him sitting in the electric chair in the Chamber of Horrors in Madden to Swords. And I found that he was the uh, so-called 
kidnapper and murderer of the Lindbergh child. Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr. was a 20-month-old son of aviator and racist Charles Lindbergh. The baby was abducted from their home, where a ransom note of for $50,000 was found. The ransom was paid, but unfortunately the child's body was found just 11 days after the kidnapping. Bruno was arrested after handing over dollar bills with the same serial numbers that were recorded to be in the ransom payment. So then the next thing I did was I actually went down to Mount of Swords. I walked in there, I looked at the, the man that was sitting in the chair, who happened to be Bruno Hotman, and what was shocking to me was that my picture was absolutely identical in buttons, in the straps, the way the hands were gripped onto the chair. And the only thing that was different with mine was that to indicate he's being electrocuted, there was blue sparks coming out of both fingers. It is absolutely identical. I think it's a poster, either outside or in the carriage behind probably of something uh, that was happening in a show in London. It could be. The waxwork and the photo just looked too much alike. A friend of mine um, whose mum had passed away asked me to go along to see a medium and I sat outside while she went in and spoke to the medium. Um, as she was about to leave, the medium came outside and said, I have a message for you. And I looked at him and said, but I'm not here for a reading. And he said, um, it's about your photo. And he said, just want you to know is that the man said, I'm accused of something that I didn't do, but I did something else. And that was the end of the message. Whoa. Before being taken to the chair, Helpman said, and I quote, I am innocent of the crimes of which I am being charged. And ever since, his guilt has been questioned. There were claims that evidence was flimsy, and even that the police intimidated witnesses to claim they saw Helpman. There's even books being written about it. But, I don't know. You all know what I think about mediums. The King William Street Tunnel is one of the oldest and longest disused tunnels on the network. Abandoned in 1900, it stretches from Borough Station to the north side of London Bridge, Prince Holman was a project manager for the Tube Centenary celebrations during the 1980s and was asked to photograph the tunnel for a book. He and his colleague returned on several occasions and each time they witnessed the same strange feelings. This is a tunnel that basically runs underneath the Thames at London Bridge, but it's not used anymore. So Infrasound may not be to blame. We did a lot of experiments to get it right and when we took the final set of photographs, there was an image of somebody standing in the sump. It was slightly translucent. Um, nothing was right about it. There's, there was nobody who could have been there at the time. And I have this slide, and the slide just has written on it, the ghost. This one is even creepier than the electric chair one. I'll post this one too. I went to pull it out, and the transparency is not there. I just checked to see if it had been misfiled, and Look through some early images of shots we've taken down there. And surprisingly, there is another photograph of the ghost in almost exactly the same position. It was taken a couple of years earlier that I didn't even know about until today. So it even appears in several other photos. But now we're going back to the hated bank station. Cliff Archibald was checking the CCTV monitors in his office after he'd emptied and closed the station. At two o'clock in the morning, 
he noticed something strange. I noted what appeared to be a little old lady standing in a long corridor at a dogleg junction. So I collected a station radio so I could maintain contact with my colleague and made my way through the station. You can't have little old ladies wandering around the station at night. As I reached the same level that she was standing on, she looked up, looked straight at me, looked down again, turned and started walking away. I actually started running down the corridor in order to catch her. By the time I got to the dog leg, she disappeared, which I immediately thought strange as I knew I'd covered that ground an awful lot quicker than she could have walked from the dog leg to the stairs. I went down to the spiral staircases. Both sets of gates were still closed and padlocked. She was nowhere to be seen. Now, I don't believe in ghosts or spirits or anything else like that. So I wasn't going to accept the fact that something pretty spooky was going on. So I called to my colleague in the operations room to check the CCTV cameras to find out where she could have disappeared to. He checked over a hundred cameras and there was no one to be seen. Every inch of train stations, and particularly ones like Bank, are covered by CCTV. This is a strange one, and I like how, despite seeing a ghost, this guy refuses to believe he's seen a ghost. Looking back at my experience at Bank Monument on that particular evening, being the skeptic that I am, it will stay with me for the rest of my life as to why I can't come up with a logical explanation as to what happened. Good for him. There are thousands of staff who work behind the scenes of the underground, keeping the network moving, clean and maintained. And nearly all of these jobs take place at night when the system is closed to the public. Some jobs are more unusual than others, such as the fluffers. The what? Did I hear that right? Such as the fluffers. I did. Why would underground workers need fluffers? Who collect human hair from the tunnels, blown in from people waiting on the platforms. Oh. I thought they did something completely different. I'm not sure why they mentioned the fluffers, because the next person up is a guy who is a track walker. They walk the tracks at night with a flashlight, making sure everything is okay in the tunnels. During the walk, uh, I think I was between Overland and Stockwell stations, uh, I came across this clearing, bigger piece of tunnel, and there was a guy work, working there. And what struck me was that he had one of these old oil-type gasly tilly lamps, he used to call them. And I remember thinking that I'm sure these have been done away with, uh, safety reasons, I guess, and everybody had battery torches nowadays. So I said to this guy, I mean, he, he looked old to me then, he's probably my age now. Uh, I said, I'm surprised you got one of those old lamps. I forget what he said exactly, but something along the lines of he liked it better uh, than the battery jobs. I never thought much about it. I asked him, what is this place? It's clearing. He said, oh, this is South Island Places. And I forget what he explained what he did. Uh, and that was it, really. A quick chat, and I continued walking down the tunnel to the next station, which was Stockwell, and that was where the end of my trackball was. And this guy really doesn't look like the type to make up stories. So I phoned this chap up. Told him my name and said, I've just done a walk from here to, here to there. And I was now clear of the track. He said, fine, OK. And just by chance, I asked him 
what are the other guys doing up South Island Place? I thought I'd drop that in, be a bit clever, you know? And he said, what other guy? Well, I just spoke to a guy up at South Island Place, he called it. He said, oh, I haven't got anybody booked in my logs tonight to be working there. I said, well, there is somebody working there. I just spoke to him. If you're sure that you saw somebody down there, we certainly don't have anybody booked in for that piece of track. We'll have to search the tunnel. So as a tunnel search, had to go ahead. So I've gone back into the tunnel and he's come the other way. And after about 20 minutes, we've met in the middle. And this old fellow with the lamp is nowhere to be seen. It's a little unnerving because it, it didn't kind of make sense. And the search had taken a long time. And as a result of that, the first trains had to be held up, which is not a popular thing to do. No, it isn't. There is nothing Londoners like more than complaining about late trains. To themselves, of course. John Graham was a station foreman and was alone working the night shift at Bethnal Green, a station on the Central Line in East London in early spring 1981. As the normal, up to the last train, everything, stuff was, stuff went home and everything, and I just secured the station and just went back to the office and started doing some paperwork because all the staff had gone home put some of the station lights off. And all of a sudden, I was just sitting there and heard the sound of children. Oh, no. Now, children really are scary. Crying at first, and I, I dismissed it as a nothing, really, and then all of a sudden it seemed to get sort of loud, and then all of a sudden there was voices of women and, and people screaming and, and, and loud noises, and combination of everything. It built up to quite a, quite a frightening situation, really. It went, seemed to go on for about 10 or 15 minutes. And it was just like a, as people were panicking. To the point I left the office and I went up to the top of the booking hall and remained majority of the time. I, just, I was frightened to go back to the office because of the noise down there. It was, it was quite frightening, actually. That does sound terrible. And it's affected him to this day. Well, I even when I go through Bethlehem Green to this day, I, 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 I can't forget it, you know. But, uh, it's, it's frightening, really, actually. It turns out that during the Second World War, there was a terrible panic and a crush at Bethnal Green Station. Of the 173 people that died at Bethnal Green, only 27 were men. The remaining 146 were women and children. And it actually had the worst death count for a civilian incident during the Second World War in London. There are absolutely hundreds of tales about ghosts on the underground. Rumours such as the Bakerloo Line passenger. When sitting on the Bakerloo Line, travelling northbound, apparently you can sometimes see the reflection of someone sitting in the seat next to you, even though the seat is actually empty. Well, as long as he doesn't try and talk to me, I, I don't really mind. But we have time for one last story. The Jubilee Line is London Underground's newest line. However, the extension from Westminster near the Houses of Parliament to Stratford in East London dug its way through the grounds of several monasteries, forcing the relocation of 683 exhumed graves. I actually worked on the Jubilee Line extension, but I didn't have any say in which cemeteries they were going to burrow through. The stations on the Jubilee Line have stunning, very futuristic architecture. Canary Wharf Station was even used as a location for the newer Star Wars movies and the TV boob-fest Brave New World. It's reported that sightings of monks have increased in this part of the network ever since. Just like every other line, the entire 45 miles of the Jubilee Line 
is checked each night on foot by track-walking patrolmen walking the lengths of the tunnels on their own. Bill McCown is a track walker and has been patrolling the tunnels of the underground for nearly 20 years. He was walking along the northbound Jubilee Line from Baker Street to St John's Wood in the early hours of the morning. He'd sat down in the tunnel for a break. I gotta tell you, this guy looks tough. He's big, he's got tattoos, and he looks like he can handle himself. So all of a sudden, I heard this noise. Now there's no bolt holes that side or that side, anywhere. So the next thing, I seen the ballast moving a few metres away. Ballast is the rocks and stuff that lay under and between the tracks. I just sat there with my mouth open, watching the footsteps in the ballast as the ballast sank down with footsteps. You know what I mean? As I was sitting there, the hairs were sticking up straight on both arms, and I could feel it on my neck. It was like a tingling like static electricity and it just went on past and after that when it got about 10 meters away it just stopped but uh, the main thing that worried me was I still had to walk in the same direction as whatever this was went which was a little bit iffy but obviously I had to do it because I was patrolling. He actually saw what was like an invisible man walking and making footprints in the ballast. I got back to Charing Cross from Finchley and I was talking to the ganger man. And when I walked in, he says, God, Bill, you look very white. I says, I know you're not going to believe this. He says, don't tell me you've seen footsteps in the ballast. I said, how did you know? He says, you're not the first person that has seen it. I said, well, what has happened? What, what do you think it is? He says, well, from what I hear, there's been a patrolman who used to walk that part of the tunnel, but he died. And he is actually still walking the tunnel as a ghost, patrolling, because he still doesn't realize he's dead. <clears throat> you know, one thing I do before I start working for the London Underground is maybe ask these guys if they've ever seen anything strange before. Episode 39 Ghosts of the London Underground The Epilogue So, what have we learnt this week? We learnt that there's a very good reason why people would think the tube is haunted. From the early days of construction through to wartime, there have been thousands of accidental deaths and suicides. Add these to the graves, cemeteries, plague pits and church crypts that the tube's construction has disrupted over the years, and the number of potentially disturbed souls begins to add up to the thousands. We learnt that, although a lot of workers have seen the ghosts, they don't like to talk about it. And then he says to me, um, oh, is it a woman in a white dress? I said, yeah, how do you know? And he goes, uh, oh, I've seen her as well. And we learnt that London Underground employs fluffers, but they operate in a much different capacity than what I thought. Such as the fluffers who collect human hair from the tunnels, blown in from people waiting on the platforms. Some of the stories from the tube are quite chilling, and there's good background on them as well. While excavating Liverpool Street, 
they uncovered hundreds of uncoffined bodies. The ticket hall at Bank Station used to be a church crypt. And in 1958, just outside Beacon Tree Station, there was a train crash in which 10 people were killed. And you see these guys telling their stories and none of them seem to be into paranormal subjects and woo. Maybe that's why they don't normally talk about it. But I think Professor Vic's brown noise theory does have its merits too. Down in those tunnels there are so many sounds and vibrations it's got to mess with your head a little. What I do know is I haven't been on a crowded tube train in what's almost a year now. And while I used to hate those journeys at the time, I'm actually looking forward to when it's safer to travel on it. And if we keep the mask rule, then tourists and northerners will find it even more difficult to talk or bother me. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at idontknowpod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know. Sandy.